Hi, it's Ade here, your host for Stories That Stick. Now guys, I'm still working on getting more interviews for 2021. And in keeping with the last episode, I want to share some of the stories from our guests that have stuck with me. Episode 4, Nels Abbey. Now Nels is the author of Think Like a White Man, and one thing that has definitely made a lasting impression on me was his message on not giving up, really and truly. But I let him tell it. I remember reading somewhere where Kanye West said that in 1996, he listened to an album called Hardcore by Little Kim. Um, Kanye heard the album and was crying. He listened to the album, listened to music and everything else. He knew deep down that given his shot, the production that he could have done for this album would have been much better than what was on it. And when I read that, I was kind of related to it because I knew deep down that once again, given my shot, a lot of what's out there or so, I could do better then. And I read Ta-Nehisi Coates had an interesting quote. He said that the thing about writing is this, is that if you want to become a writer and you want to succeed as a writer, the one thing you have to do is keep on writing because most people will drop out. And eventually by process of elimination or so, it will boil down to you. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Just continuing just by process of elimination kind of the only one left now i do want to play you one more clip of the interview in which was a story that stuck with nels and also the reason as to why he writes the way he does write now here's a clip were you reading any fiction non-fiction of course there was a lot of reading i think getting to my late teens coming back here visiting new york i um, was on a street corner one day and is this is the Bronx where they sell books on the streets. I think I had about 10 maybe $20 there. I thought, let me just speak to the bookseller over here. And I asked the guy, what should I buy? And then he said, he pointed yeah, to one book. And then everybody else said, yeah, son, buy that, buy that, son. <laughs> you got to read that, son. And then, um, then I just bought it. And it was a book called The Coldest Winter Ever by a lady called Sister Soldier. And it was the birth of something called street literature. And it was about a 15-year-old girl whose father was a drug dealer. And then he gets taken down by the police and then what becomes of her and how she has to navigate her way through society. So she's gone from being a very, very wealthy child, protected, living in this house of red Porsches and beautifulness and everything, even though they lived in the projects. And her mum was this beauty queen and everything else. Then her dad gets taken down and then they learn that, I won't give away the spoilers, but it's so brilliant. That book, I can say, is part of why I'm here today. Because that was really like full throttle creativity and very, very different. The language was not just like polished, great Etonian or public school English language. It was Ebonics. And when you're reading it, you're thinking to yourself, are you permitted to write like this? And I don't know, yeah, you can. You can be a lot more creative than an Achebe or an Orwell or so. If you haven't already, make sure you do pick up the book, Think Like a White Man. And do show some love to Nels Abbey. He's um, a brilliant mind. He's an interesting guy. And we all should be supporting each other. Next up, we have Axel Cocotier. And what can I say about Axel? Apart from him being an amazing sound designer, poet, and just an audio genius. At the time of recording... He was, and still is, the sound designer for Today in Focus, an award-winning news podcast from The Guardian. And speaking of awards, Axel's pretty much won them all. Well, he will do anyway. 
Let's see what's he won. So he's won silver for best producer at APA 2019, gold for best documentary at the Third Coast International Festival, and gold for the Sarah Awards. You know what? I'll stop there. Just Google Axel and you can see all these accolades. Now, this kind of reminds me of what he did say during our interview about his name and how that does matter. Here's the clip. Your artist name and what you are known for is Axel. Yeah. How did that come about? So, a friend who came to visit me, he's also a DJ slash producer. He came around one time and he heard my mum call me, Axel, Axel. And probably telling me off for something that I should have done. That I didn't do. <laughs> um, and he was like, why does your mum call you Axel? And I was like, no, it's my middle name. And that's what she calls me. Um, and it's like, you should call yourself that. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, and that's how it stuck. So like, and for me, I was always like, what is my artist name going to be? Because like, at that time, I was DK. I had other ideas that had the name Dragon in it. Uh, and I'm glad that I uh, like for me like Axel was just kind of like I'm so glad I don't have to make up something shit because it's yeah, yeah Axel Kakutier like it that's bangs. no one no one is called that and yeah to nah. the point where I'm less mistaken then mm. someone in a pub quiz oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah man like the Guardian has definitely like leveled up my profile in, in ways that I couldn't imagine and for example there was just one night I was like just before bed either in a South American pub or a pub somewhere in Europe, this guy tweeting saying they won a pub quiz and their pub quiz team name was my name. So it was literally Team Axel Cucutier. That, that, that was, that, that is still, it's so, like, what the hell? Um, like, it's, it's, it's just like one of those things where, like, you grow up with people barely struggling to say your name or like, you know, your name is coming up on the register. You just know, like, the supply teacher is going to mess up your name. And I'm like, there's such a positive connection to it. Yeah, I think we can all agree for us who have quote unquote foreign sounding names in comparison to the English names can relate to how a substitute teacher might mess up our name, not even just a substitute teacher. That said, here's a story that did stick with Axel at a tender age of five and it's really quite telling, actually, on how that really is Axel. Orpheus and Eudorus? Yes. Am I saying that Eurydice, right? Eurydice. Yeah, Eurydice, yeah, I think. I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns and think it's, that's how you pronounce it. Okay, Eurydice. Yeah. Orpheus and Eurydice. I remember being in the music hall or the music room. How old were you? Five or six. And piano teacher Miss Bone she was playing the song and it had such a it had such a melancholy vibe to it because essentially the song that we were singing was the moment where um, Orpheus turned around and saw Eurydice but she's gone I guess like a quick recap of, yeah, of, the, of story. the story yeah that would help yeah okay Orpheus and Eurydice are lovers Eurydice either dies or is kidnapped um, to the underworld and Orpheus is really sad, so he attempts to go and get her back and basically make a, a deal with uh, Hades, the lord of the underworld. Hades is like, okay, fine, because you really touched my heart because he played beautiful music, but this is the deal. You can only have her once you're both out of the realm. But it's a long journey back, though, and he starts to doubt. 
if the deal actually happens. And essentially, just as he steps out and he turns around, she was actually behind him. But because she wasn't out, she's gone. And this is the song about it. Were you sad? Um, I guess this goes back to the transient nature of things. I genuinely do feel like I had that kind of intuitive understanding of that when I was younger, as a child. I just, I was just like, yeah, that happens, you know, like shit happens and you have to deal with it and you can create beautiful spaces with that. Do listen to the full interview. It's episode five. And also congratulations to Axel. He became, since the recording, a new father to the cutest little boy. So congratulations to him. And yeah, just go show him some love, support, because the rising tide does lift all boats. Next up is Temi Alchemy. He's a co-host of the very popular podcast, The 90s Baby Show. It's funny because at the time of recording, he was speaking about what he wished for the show, as well as himself personally. And in my personal opinion, I believe he's accomplished both of them. So congratulations, Temi, for the success of the show, but more specifically on becoming a new father. That being said, during the interview, something that stuck with me was when Temi was telling the story of Honey Trap. Here's the clip. So I remember it was actually my mum... One day I just came back from school, around that age of maybe, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, your parents kind of know you're talking to girls. Their way of showing me to be careful was to show me the story of Shaquille. Next tonight, it became known as the Honey Trap murder after a teenager from Deptford was led to his death by his girlfriend in 2008. He, I believe he was just with his friends. I, I'm not gonna say oh, he, was a, he was in a gang or anything, but he was with his friends met a girl, they had a relationship, he had an issue with a guy, the guy knew the girl, and the girl set him up. And he was stabbed to death, and I remember the person twisted the blade. That stuck with me, because I was like, wow, there's people out there that really want to kill you, and it could be over a girl. It made me look at girls very different, and maybe just kind of slowed me down a bit, like, oh, actually, assess character you might be going for the honey and you could get trapped. In today's society, too many people are obsessed with image and I believe they wrongfully confuse that as respect. If we just slowed down and assessed moral character, we might not end up being trapped. Now the next clip is really about how the 90s baby show how it came to fruition. So, here is the clip. Now we're in the same place. We're talking way more. We're busting joke at lunch, and we were just like, we talk shit. Can I talk, bro? <laughs> <laughs> but someone needs to hear this. Someone, need, this needs to be recorded because this is hilarious. And I know not, we're not the only ones that think like this. And I think part of laws of attraction and having a vision is when I was young, I always got in trouble for talking, but my parents never thought, oh, let, 
let's see what we can do with that because clearly you're just not stimulated or clearly you need something to exercise that so a lot of um you know a lot of it was to do with oh, i want a way of expressing myself i think it was just a want to express myself so i dance i joke all that kind of stuff and when i would watch ted talks ted talks was a big thing as well and i realized nah man i want to be on the stage talking and being a motivational speaker i want to be involved in public speaking because i realized i'm very confident in it so when we started to think of oh what can we do and i was like oh we could do a podcast and fred was like what's a podcast and i was like i don't really know but i've watched it before ricky gervais had one and he was like oh we should call it speaking from experience nah, that ain't it, and i was like that's shit but what's something that we're always going to be for life nice nah, baby, nah, baby. To hear the full interview, please just go to episode 6. And also do check out the 90s Baby Show podcast because it's easily one of the funniest black British podcasts that talks about culture and society. So once again, Timmy, congratulations. Next up is Billy D, PR consultant and mental health advocate. Since our recording, Billy has gone on to appear on numerous TV shows and the most recent is Channel 4's The Bridge, which is a game show type show. Now, regular listeners will know that when it comes down to all my interviews, I start by talking about the subject death because I believe it informs, be it consciously or subconsciously, how we live life. And the response the guests give is quite telling but what Billy said particularly still resonates with me to this very day. Here's the clip. Death. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. How do you feel about death? Um, I mean, how, how deep do you want me to get on it? I don't want you to get into any headspace that you, you're not. No, I, I really think as a society, we should be talking more about death and dying. And I think the reason why it's so taboo is because we ignore it. Um, but it happens to everybody and it can happen at any time. And I think the way society frames it makes it actually a really tragic experience. And of course, death is a tragic experience, but I don't think it needs to be. So I think this is an important conversation. But for me personally, um, for a few years, I was obsessed with death, like obsessed with it. But I suffered very seriously from depression and anxiety. And for some reason in my head, I just thought that death was kind of an end to it, an end to my issues, an end to my worries. And I think it was only when one of my friends sat down and said to me, why do you actually want to die? And, and, and actually questioned me about it. And I realized I, I didn't at all. I just think I just wanted a break. How do you prevent these thoughts? I think it's to find a, a lust for living again. And I think the issue with... Did you say lust? A lust. Okay, yeah, like that. A lust <laughs> for living. I think so many people just go through the motions, especially our generation. We've been raised for a world that doesn't exist anymore. We're not satisfied just going to the same job day in, day out, sitting at a desk, not doing anything meaningful. The way I got out of that negative thinking was to actually practice gratitude um, think of the little things every day that I was grateful for, tell the people that I love that I did love them, and also be kind to people and give 
do good work, make other people happy. And slowly as I started doing that, my life started gaining more meaning. And I could see the potential that I had to help people and make their lives worth living. And that's what got me back on track. So I do believe that what you do in this life does count if you do want to be remembered or you do want to have a legacy. Do you want to be remembered? I do, very much so. Okay, well, we'll get into that. We'll talk about your legacy. Shall we go to the next chapter? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Such a powerful message. Thanks for that, Billy. Now, here's one of the stories that stuck with Billy and how it made a huge impact on her life. Here's the clip. Um, I was told the story of Nelson Mandela from my mum. In December 1990, after Nelson Mandela was released from prison, he did a tour of the world and he went to Australia. And my mum, being the only black journalist in Australia, was sent to interview him. And on the day she went, she brought me with her. And she remembers walking to the interview and I was screaming and screaming and crying. And there was this big entourage of people and they stopped and turned around and suddenly Nelson Mandela walked through and he said, I haven't heard a baby cry in like 28 years. And he was like, can I hold your baby? And mum was like, of course. And he held me and he said, oh, is she mixed race? And mum said, yes. And he said, your baby is the future of the world. You can listen to the full interview, episode number seven. And do go shower her with your love, your support, because she's amazing and she's doing amazing work for our community. Now, the last recap for today is the interview I did with Fred Santana, who is the other half of the 90s Baby Show podcast. And Fred's interview was, in truth, if I'm going to be candid, one of the rawest I've actually ever done. But if there's anything I can say about Fred is that he's a natural storyteller with such a unique perspective of life, generally. Speaking of which, he's fought in the UK inner city education is something that has always stuck with me. Here's the clip. Was there any other things you were thinking? Because you were going through the education system, right? Within the education structure, they start talking about where you potentially could go career-wise. We didn't know we could be anything. We didn't know we could be anything. Primary school, they'll tell you you could be whatever you want to be. Secondary school, they're not even telling you anything. Like, we're robots in, in secondary school. We learn what everybody else learns and we have no room to learn anything else. It's this curriculum or nothing. And it's, that's it. Do you remember the Brit school? The Brit, what, of yeah, Acting yeah, or music actually, or something. Yeah, yeah. We used to look at it like, rah, I want to go there, but I ain't got talent. We never knew we had talents. No one told us you could do this, you know. Robots. Just go to this lesson and go to that one and then go home. That's it. There was no, we're going to nurture your talent, Brit school. We're going to nurture your talent, football. Like there was no fo no school prioritised working on individual's talent. There was art class, but there was no like, we're going to put your thing in a gallery. There was music class. There was no, we're going to show you how to put it on. There wasn't iTunes at the time, but HMV. There was a football team, but there was never scouts. There was this, but there was never the next step. 
What would you do different? If I was to be back in secondary school. Yeah, knowing knowing what you do know now. I wouldn't have a plan B. Are we robots? And I'm curious to know whether you are all living your plan A or plan B. Do let me know. But here's one of the stories that stuck with Fred. It might have stuck with a few of us who went through the English education system. It's a story of mice and men. You wrote mice and men. Mm. That was a story that stuck with you. Why? Mice and men was like two guys on a journey-ish. Ended up settling somewhere. One guy fell in love with a woman. Ended up killing the woman, and then his friend ended up killing him. Mm. It's like life. Like it wasn't a happy ending, and I like that. That's probably what I like most about the book. Like, and that's probably what I started hating about films. I know I, I like. I didn't write it. This is what the um, the writer and the director all wanted to do. It's theirs. If I want something done a certain way, do it myself. I love the fact that Fred said, if I want something done a certain way, I'll do it myself. It's such a powerful statement. And what's interesting is since the interview, Fred has started other content channels particularly one around artwork from our community. It's called Art Class. You can check it out on the 90s Baby Network YouTube channel. So yeah, if you want to hear the full interview, it's episode number eight. And please do go support Fred and everything he's doing. And once again, congratulations for all the success with the 90s Baby Show podcast. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. So guys, I'm going to leave it here today and you won't hear from me before Christmas. So I hope you all have a great one. Merry Christmas. Bye.